Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Live from Eggplant Studio in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For myself, Jeff Cole, and producer Dan Wong, let's rack it up, Danny G. We're in downtown Toronto recording on a Friday afternoon. The NBA playoffs, the conference finals are pretty deep. We kind of have ideas of who's going to win at this point we're going to talk about the west finals the east finals of course but we're going to have to talk about jamal murray um maybe the biggest uh coming out party in the nba bubble this year even more so than tyler hero who will also discuss uh maybe we'll even start forecasting a potential nba finals and uh some uh Bit of news on the NBA coaching carousel, but uh, Andy Routens, Javon Shepard, how you guys doing today? Great, man. This looks like the revenue is just flowing in. We got mic stands today. <laughs> <laughs> We've introduced mic stands to the podcast, guys. Big uh, I just have to say, fuck you, Andy Routens. <laughs> here we go. Doing well. How's everybody doing? AR getting AR getting some toot here as we start the show. <laughs> so I, I think uh, I think the responsible place to start is with the the Lakers and Nuggets series, the Western uh, the Western Finals. And I think we have to start by uh, looking at what happened in Game 4. I think there, there was a... Denver had a good chance to tie up the series 2-all. Maybe they have the Lakers right where they want them, down 3-1. That's their sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, it, it would just go against all the probabilities, all the statistics for a team to actually come back from 3-1 in three successive series. I, I can't even fathom the possibility of it. But wh- why don't we start with the Lakers and let's start with game four. Shep, are we seeing things out of Anthony Davis? Is this what we've always expected from him? Why is it happening now and maybe we hadn't seen it in the past? Oh, you know what? You you have to take into account that there's also an, another MVP caliber player on his team, right? So and I think that's also a big factor that can, you know, alleviate some of the some of the stresses and some of the, the attention that he would have been garnering when he was, you know, solo by himself over in New Orleans there. But you know, for me the biggest addition has been Rondo. And just because this is a guy, and I said it before, he's facilitating. He's getting the basketball everywhere it needs to be. So as as for the defense, you can't really focus on, you know, an Anthony Davis. And then when you do, you also have a LeBron on your wing, right? And then um, you have shooters. Um, Caldwell Pope is playing amazing. And then you add in um, Dwight Howard, who's playing arguably the best basketball he has in a couple of years. So I think several years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I really think it's just, you know, it's multifaceted. It's layered. And the fact that you have guys that are really stepping up and playing some of the best basketball in, in years, as well as having a Rondo, has really helped um, AD. And on top of it, this guy is pretty much a seven-footer, and he has wing skill. He's a, mm-hmm. he's, he's a talented player, so you can't take that away from him. We haven't really seen that type of player in the last mm-hmm. last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, no doubt, a, a ton of uh, – Davis has just been incredible and has, has shown so much, so many assets of the game. Is Rondo really – a difference maker in this series. I mean, looking ahead possibly to the Lakers going to the finals, I'm still not convinced that their supporting cast, although that there's a, a duo there that is for sure has to be the best in the league and maybe historically up there as well. But do you know, is Rondo really what's the reason why Denver is losing this series? I don't think Rondo's the sole reason that they're they're losing the series. I think he's a huge contributing factor. Obviously, his playoffs experience speaks volumes. 
Uh, what did he just pass Scottie Pippen for seventh all time in the assists uh, all time history? Yeah. So having a floor general like that, I think, is the difference maker for LA. They were kind of lost before without him at times. Uh, and and you mentioned Frank Vogel having the confidence to start Dwight. Um, you know, after be, being re- out rebounded forty four twenty five in Game Three, you know that changed. Uh, and and he had and he had eleven points and ten rebounds. Uh, six of those were offensive rebounds. So that's huge, and that's all in the first half. Uh, we all know the Lakers are a hot starting team, uh, but they were able to to maintain their their energy and their defensive presence until the fourth quarter, which is where the Nuggets usually shine. Yeah. Now, but is that going to happen again? Is Howard going to start Game Five, a potential Game Six, and NBA Finals? I mean, is that something that you can count on? Because it really was, you know, we've seen a couple He's of flashes. Right He's all in. He's, but I will say this: This is when the Nuggets, when the Nuggets really start to play basketball. They're down three one now, so it's really about to be a series. And I, and I have faith in them. If you really look at it, they, the series actually should be tied right now. They lost. Uh, what was it? That one when AD hit? What was that game three? That was when they AD hit the step back at the at the buzzer. Come, no, sorry, he came off that screen <laughs> and yeah, um, three, yeah. you know hit that three at the buzzer. And I think it should be a series right now. It could be easily two two. Um, you know, and they've, you know, the Nuggets have proven already that they, they've divided all odds, beat history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to add to it. I think that you're going to come out and see. And again, Murray's playing exceptional basketball, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I, LeBron, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think the series actually should be over. I thought the Lakers kind of mailed it in in game three when they were up 2 0 and, and didn't really put out the the performance that would be becoming of an NBA champion. Um, and we've seen that we've seen that from the Lakers throughout the playoffs. There's always one game in the series where I don't know if they're, they're disinterested or disorganized, but I, I think, you know, LA should, should already be, be done with this series. And I, I feel like in, in game three, there was a, you know, they made that run late in the fourth, mm-hmm. which to me shows that they are kind of the, the superior team here. I think but, that it's all it's all contingent upon the role players. You yeah. know, if KCP shows up, if he makes you know three or four threes, that's a, that's a huge difference maker, especially with the way Danny Green shoots the ball. Up. Exactly. <laughs> you know, he's been non-existent thus far in this playoff series, and I think that really hurts them. But having KCP step up and guys like Dwight, like we said, uh, they're huge difference makers. LeBron and AD are going to do what they do. You know, they're superstars. You know, day in and day out. LeBron's filling the stat sheet. He's almost had a triple double last night. And AD's numbers haven't differentiated too much within the playoffs. So, I mean, he's he's a stud. He's going to do what he does. And it's just they all need their supporting guys to step up who's and play the, well. Who's their most, the most valuable player on this team, Braun or AD to you guys? Oof. I mean, it still I mean, has to be clearly LeBron. LeBron. I'm going yeah. AD. I'm going AD. I don't know. But I'm AD really AD. hasn't accomplished. You, you kind of said it before. He's got that Hall of Famer there. He's got a, a top-notch talent, which he hasn't had before. If, if AD's really doing it, he might have had this kind of success prior. I, I don't think without LeBron, you know, I don't know if he gets well, that winning can, shot without you, LeBron's presence. Then you get into the, the conversation of most valuable player versus most important player, right? So I think LeBron is is obviously their most important player, but as far as value, AD can't be matched. Well, I mean, I think AD is the leading scorer on the team this year, but I, I just, I and can't. And rebounds, and rebounds. I, I feel like, LeBron is still stirring the drink on that team. I don't think they're on the precipice of the NBA Finals without LeBron James being there. And, mm-hmm. you know, let, forecasting a, a, a L.A. Lakers-Miami series, if you take LeBron off that team, what kind of shot do they have against Miami? I would argue not much. But then again, if you take AD off AD the off. Lakers. Uh, but LeBron, LeBron's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy that went up to Coach Vogel and he said, I want the I want the." The, the, the defensive stop. I want. I want this task. He said, "I knew it was winning time." And that, and that, LeBron taking on that challenge. That's what you want from your superstars. It reminds me of when Giannis was asked why he didn't defend Jimmy Butler uh, in Game One of their series. You know, he said, uh, "I'll do whatever Coach asked me to." And this is versus LeBron saying, you know, Coach Vogel saying, "I asked for this assignment." Which is interesting because if you listen to the interview of AD after Game Three, I believe mm-hmm. it was when he hit that big shot, mm-hmm. he mentioned and he mentioned that this is what they brought me here for. This is what they brought me to make the big shots right. and, and and you know close out games. Right now, isn't that a bit conflicting considering like whose team is it? Like was that the message that was echoed right. to AD? When I he felt like he was trying here? to take the throne for the yeah, I was top of, guy of the when team. He said, "I was like, whoa, yeah, hold yeah, on yeah. now, AD, whose yeah. team is this?" Yeah, but 
LeBron remains humble time, in all in all interviewing situations. Right. And at the same time, Bron is thirty five now, right? Yeah. Could that have been the message when you recruit when you were recruiting A D here to mm-hmm. say, Look, A D, I'm passing the torch to you or, you know, from from the coaches and management standpoint, no, mm-hmm. this is your team and we're, we're the future is yours. So yes, you're here to hit those the game winning shots, take mm-hmm. the last shots, take the you know, the weight of the team in, sure. in crucial times. So who knows? But that, that could it be? Could it be that they're? To me. Could it be that they're looking for AD to be the guy in late game situations and LeBron to be the facilitator overall? I mean, I think it's like a perfect duo. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I think they cover all facets when they're on the floor together. I agree. I agree. You you guys will be able to answer this way better than I ever could. Does there have to be? Does it have to be defined that there's the one guy that it's it's his team or it's his? Team? I mean, that's the narrative that everybody makes the NBA to be. But like yeah. with, with the Lakers right now, you have two complete alpha males in terms mm-hmm. of basketball. You have LeBron, but yeah, Davis is that later generation. But I, you look at Davis's past in in high school and college; he was always meant to be this first rate, super elite player. I mean, c- can they not share that? You know, Davis hit the winning shot in in game two. But did but LeBron had I think nine or ten points going down the stretch in game. Four. I think roles do need to be identified because then you you run into a problem of let's say the Clippers for example they have they have a team full of talent. There you go, great example. But nothing was in line, right? So you do and and then once you do have players that understand role, you have to have the right the right players, the right personnel for that because they have to be on the same page. We both have to understand we want to win, and and then you, you know. You can kind of offset that. LeBron may may lean to AD and say, "Look, I've seen on the you have an advantage here, so this is this is your shot." Or AD needs to look at Bron and say, mm-hmm. "You have an advantage here, or you're hot, you haven't mm-hmm. clicked, this is your shot." That's what winning teams do. That's what winning teams do. But they both they both have used in in, uh, in interviews they both use the term legacy, mm-hmm. and that very much defines who they are as players individually. Because mm-hmm. you know he's ta- AD's talking about I wanted to be that guy, you know, the legacy. That's an individual. Yeah. thing in my opinion mm-hmm. and lebron he was gonna do anything to get the season back restarted because he wanted to go chase a ring mm-hmm. so they each have individual legacies that they're chasing after but i think they can work in tandem to accomplish that goal and that's what they're doing right now and and that comes with winning plays right so and winning and creating legacy also there's a level of sacrifice that comes with that and i think sure. you know to work in a tandem is as much as big of talent as both these players are they're gonna have to sacrifice at some capacity mm-hmm. Well, a- absolutely, and I think you know you look at the Lakers, their championships, seventeen in total. A bunch of them were as the Minneapolis Lakers, but when you think of the modern day Los Angeles Lakers, it's always superstar tandems. It's Kobe and Pau Gasol, Kobe and Shaq, Magic, Kareem, and James Worthy. I mean, it, you know they set the tone for that that Lakers franchise, but also a model in the NBA of, of what it takes to win the championship. You know, Andy, you, you mentioned legacy. And as we sit here in Toronto, and we're, we're all Canadians here, and as basketball is just growing and growing and growing in Canada, Steve Nash's name, just it just keeps coming up. And I don't think anyone has had as lasting a legacy to this point as Captain Canada, Steve Nash, a nice college player, twice an MVP in the NBA, now the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Why do I bring his name up? Because we're... We're seeing um, the next great Canadian player, Jamal Murray. We've talked about him every week that we've done a podcast because he's been so exceptional in the bubble, especially now in the NBA playoffs. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of chatter. I, I doubt this is a topic in the United States and in the rest of the basketball world. But where where I sit and where we all, um, where we converse and on the social media, on Twitter, there have been a lot of arguments lately about how can you even have the conversation about best Canadian. I, I, I'm pretty sure we will agree that Jamal Murray has already established himself as one of the greats of Canadian basketball, one of the most talented we've seen. And, and I guess the, the question more is, where is he going? What what what? do you see him accomplishing he's put up 50s in the playoffs mm-hmm. he's he's been so absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. i mean if, if you were going uh all nba team just on the playoffs jamal murray oh, yeah. is first all nba mm-hmm. so i mean w- what's the ceiling for this guy and how do we 
is it even fair to have the conversation about the best Canadian? I mean, at this point in time, I think it's irrelevant. Um, until they finish, you know, the season, until he has a couple more years under his belt, I think it's irrelevant. Uh, what he's doing right now is solidifying him as one of the greatest Canadians to ever do it. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. His ability to create his own buckets, most of them which are drawing the attention of the best defender, double teams, his ability to finish with contact, as we saw last night, uh, his footwork, athleticism, it's scary to think about this guy's upside. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he can sustain that next year. Um, but right now, I mean, Steve Steve is still the GOAT. There's, there's no sure. debating that. For sure. And there's large yeah. amounts of statistical the evidence. G-code. The G-code. The G-code. <laughs> there you go. We, we've turned it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can run the numbers. Season MVPs, Steve Nash, two. Jamal Murray, yeah. none. All-NBA first team, Steve Nash, three. Jamal Murray, zero. All-NBA teams. And, and the list goes on. But that that is a resume. It's a resume. We're sure. talking about the eye test of talent and ability. But at the end of the day, what what is what is greatness all about? It's, it's, it's your... Your, statistics, your accomplishments, your accomplishments Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So I think that he's he's on pace to become equally as good or if not better than Steve Nash is or has been. Ooh. I think he's on pace because we have to remember Steve Nash's first five years in the league mm-hmm. were almost irrelevant. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he was almost a write-off at one point. Yeah, that is And true. he didn't get his first MVP till he was around 30. So Jamal's got a lot of time. What he's doing right now at a very young age and in his fourth year in the league is is wildly impressive, and I think his upside is just unreal. So I'll say this. I, I'm a big Jamal Murray fan. I've probably given my stories with him a couple times, but the only reservation I have is he's playing. Right now he's confident. Right now he's comfortable. We see. like it, it, It's almost like AR when you know, we're, we're back in high school. You're having an amazing game. You uh-huh. catch a rebound. You start to skip the ball up the floor. Oh, yeah. and some, yeah. So you can see that confidence in him. He's really comfortable. Now, he's done this in, you know, the, the he's played at this elite level over this bubble stretch consistently. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's the only part that's been missing out of his game is that is that level of consistency. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the numbers, he also has an average, you know, 20 points. What was it, 18 and a half, right? 14, yeah. So yeah. in his career, he has an average 20 points for a season. Yet. Right. He's he's identified himself as a scorer. Mm. To be an elite scorer, you have to put yourself in a, a category. You've got to get in that top 10, top 15. Right, yeah. and that means you're doing this level of play night in, night out. Right. For 82 games straight, for seasons on Sustainability, The difference yeah. between him and Nash was Nash was a facilitator. He made guys around him better. Mm. Um, not to say that, that um, Murray can't or isn't, but they're two different games, for right? Sure. Like Murray's more of a scorer. Nash is a facilitator. Um both great talents. So I think the thing for for um, Murray is the fact that he's going to need to do this now once regular season kicks back in. Mm-hmm. You've seen the level of play that you can accomplish and that you can dominate. Well, you're going to have to do that for 82 games to, to be in that conversation. Not only grades, Canadian grades, because he's, he's already established oh, he's, that. He's been yeah. well established in yeah, that so realm. It's yeah, so it's you and Nash. You guys are head over heels right now, and you guys have set a bar, set a standard. It's great for the, the, the young population, the young basketball community coming up. Mm-hmm. But now the conversation needs to be, you know, one of the greats in the NBA, one mm-hmm. of the greats, you know, uh, Hall of Famer. And for him, I think, you know, he doesn't necessarily pass the eye test because he's not your most athletic. He's not your most physically um, – well, neither was Nash. Neither, neither was Nash. I think we can different say Jamal games. is by far and away a little bit different, more athletic. Different than. games, right? <laughs> different games. Murray, if you see, he's been knocked to the floor a couple of times. He's a score. He's a natural scorer. Yeah. Are you going to be able to do that again, not being the most physical, night in, night out? Like when you're looking at the elites in the NBA, your KDs, okay, he's not the, the strongest, but he has his arms are like seven foot wings. Well, I think the game is changing, LeBron. undoubtedly. I James mean, Harden, yeah. he's still, there's, those guys are still yeah. very physical. Yeah. Um, so the only difference, the only player you can really compare that to that's not, you know, an elite, um, doesn't have any elite physical attributes is like a Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. So I think for Jamal, there's, there's still a long ways to go, but I, I want to see him being one of the, the elites in the, in the, in, in the entire NBA uh, and write his own legacy, not just Canadian basketball. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the reason why some of this conversation is coming up and the, the comparison of the two and I think both of you are making great points. It's just that Jamal's doing this in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a different level. He's already brought his team to the the uh, conference finals. You know, unfortunately Nash never got to the NBA finals. Like I know there was I think there was one year they lost to San Antonio, maybe another year they lost to Dallas. Mm-hmm. I think that was the year I actually thought Phoenix was going to make it to to the finals. Um but 
that what Murray is doing in the playoffs, um, I think that's what um, puts him into this conversation. And yeah, he, he's got to go out there and average 25, 27 a night in the regular season. But it's a totally different argument to see what is being accomplished in the playoffs. And I do think that the Nuggets are going to be a favorite to make the NBA Finals potentially next year. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I do think that this conversation goes into high gear because now, yeah, maybe he doesn't have the statistics or the two MVPs. And I don't know if Murray will ever win an MVP, but I do see him playing in an NBA Finals and, and possibly multiple NBA Finals. And hey, we, you know, I don't want to count them out yet for this year because we've seen them down. We've seen them come back from, from 3-1. One, one thing that's for sure is that when the bright lights are on, he performs. And like, we've seen it as, as young as he was, was he 17. I think he produced that when he was at Pan Am Games. Um, that's right. Yeah. 2015. 2015. And he turned it on when he was, he was playing against men, against the U.S. team. Oh, yeah. Similar situations. Fourth quarter came. Lights, which he seems on to and, have a yeah, and not something and, for the moment. And not all elite players have that. And that's something. If I'm if I'm a coach, I want a player. I'm recruiting. I want a player who has that. May not, he may not give me twenty a night, but when the bright lights are on, when we need you, you're going to show up in those moments, in those crucial moments. Now, what is it about this Nuggets team? And here they are down three one again. And I have two parts to this question. And the first one is why do they play their best? When their back is against the wall. I guess it's kind of the same question. Why do they play their best when their back is against the wall? And why not play that way when it's game one of the series? Or when it's 1-1? Or, you know, why do they always put themselves in this position? Why not the sense of urgency early so that you're not in the position of 3-1? I don't think that there's... I don't even think Coach Malone knows the answer to that. Like, let's be honest. I mean... Well, it's up to there's, us to figure it right. out. Right. There's there's not a team in the NBA, let alone the world, whose strategy is to start out less than, than stellar. So it seems to be working well for them. They have the mental bandwidth. They have the confidence. They have the conditioning to go in the fourth quarter, knowing that they're the superior team. And when their backs are against the wall and, and they have nothing left to lose, they play their best basketball. They play free. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, being expected not to win. Uh, you know, and also feeding off that hunger that people are doubting you. So I think there's a multitude of reasons why they play better. And I think a lot of that is is you have to give a lot of credit to their conditioning staff and to Coach Malone for having them as well prepared as they have been. I think a big part of it is the fact that this is a, a young team, maybe not by age, but they're inexperienced. They've never been here before, right? So as the game goes on, they start to feel their way. And then, okay, let's turn on. We're down. We have, point, we have to yeah. play. Yeah. So I think whereas you're you're comparing them to – the, the the Lakers, where they have you know a grand experience, a lot of experience from you know the the first player on their bench down to you look at the end of their bench, J.R. Smith is down there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? This is the guy he's played in. Oh, their bench is deep. Yeah. yeah. So the experience from those guys, they know you need to you know we're playing for a championship. You it's how you start and how you finish are the, probably the most important parts of the game. Whereas Denver, this is a learning curve. This is a learning experience for them, and it's just going to make them better for the years to come. So I think it just boils down to the experience or lack thereof. You got to give Coach Malone more props. Yeah, yeah, for see, making in-game adjustments, trying to figure out. You, you see know, how tired he looks. He looks oh, yeah. I see he oh, looks yeah. tired as shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is Coach Malone. Yeah, Coach Malone. Yeah. Coach Malone. It, it, it's yeah. interesting you say that because I, I my next question is: Is Jokic a little bit tired? I mean, for a, looks for a big yeah. guy who it. has really you know, uh, metaphorically carried the weight of the world on his yeah. shoulders throughout these playoffs. They've gone to seven twice, mm-hmm. and here they are now. And, you know, Jokic is having some foul issues, I think. And his the numbers... game without in foul trouble in yeah, the series early yeah. on. I, his numbers aren't what they were yeah. earlier in the series. Is is it a little much to expect from him at this point? There, is he tired? There's no doubt that, that it's wearing on him. I've, I've watched him specifically a couple trips up and down the floor, and he's, he's working his ass off. He's working his ass off, though. He's running for high ball screens. He's running the floor in transition. He's trying to. He's trying to his best to to battle a very physical Dwight Howard, who's who's playing a mind game with him for sure. Yeah. You know, Dwight's out there to, to make his physical presence known and try to get in, in Jokic's head. Um, but you know what's making me really upset about his game right now is that he's taking a he's taking a lot of long twos, the, the most long twos I've ever seen. Of you know, because right now the game is is the three point shot. The long two is probably the worst shot in basketball. Yeah. And guys are flying at him at the three-point line because they know he's capable. Yeah. 
But once you just give it that pump fake, it's less work for you. Stay on your spot and just knock down the three. Them legs are gone. Oh, yeah. And yeah I that's got to be what it is. I think uh, another part to that is the fact that he's not the most athletic player out there, right? So whereas guys that are a bit more athletic, the Whites, the LeBrons, the, you know, whomever else, they can rely on their athleticism mm-hmm. slightly a bit more just to get by guys. And then, okay, maybe if you have a lazy finish at the rim, whereas he has to exert a little more to get that those quick twitch muscles activated and, and, and getting get for going. Sure. So uh, I don't for think him he has now, a quick, over time, like, quick twitch muscle in his body, to be honest <laughs> right, right? So, <laughs> Which makes time, it all they, the more impressive already, what he's doing. They've already played four more games in the Lakers. So yeah. you have to you have to think and you have to also remember the amount of work that he put in over the when the you know when COVID had set in and everybody was on break, he came back. Oh yeah, he know, was looking he, thin. He lost a lot of weight. Yeah. So he had COVID, didn't he? Uh, and that we're forgetting I think, that. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think I believe he did, so. So he went to that tennis match in the the Croatia Serbia tennis competition. He's exhausted, and they're throwing McGee, Dwight, AD at him, yeah, throw yeah. Braun on him, like they're beating him down. So yeah. it, it's hard to really expect from, and they don't really have another big that can really compete at the level to mm-hmm. to offset it. So there's a lot of factors for him, and and you know this Probably is something very limited on an offensive end without Jokic. Yeah, and now on top of it, they're scouting like he, in the paint. In the paint, like, you can't really do much. He's trying to get to that that left shoulder, get to yeah. that right hook. Now is where he he also has some things to learn to add to his game and move forward going forward to next year. And we're, we're not just we're not saying they're done yet, but yeah. there's a lot I to mean, learn. Look, the, the Lakers had an 18-2 advantage in the second chance points, mm-hmm. and and that that kills any team. You know that yeah. that coaches preach: don't give you're the other done. team second you're chances, done, done. or else you're done. You know how you know how difficult it is to work. You know. As hard as you can on the defensive end, you get them down to five seconds, four seconds on the shot clock. They miss. They get the ball back. You're defeated mentally as well because you just drained yourself trying to defend you for 24 seconds. See your coach, he's cursing you out. Exactly. You got exactly. assistants cursing you out. And every, you just feel like, hey, everybody, yep. that was me. Yeah. It was me on that. Yeah. <laughs> it was me. So it was if they me. can fix that, if they can fix that and, and, and really crash the glass and take advantage of of uh, their paint presence, which is something that L.A. is trying to do right now. I think they can even that out. If I'm, if I'm correct, I, I believe they were out-rebounded by uh, – offensive rebounded by six last last night. And, yeah. and, you know, if you if you add the points on that, that was the difference of the game right there. So, yeah, just to echo what you're saying, tag on to what you're saying, those are the difference makers, in, in especially in playoff basketball. Even as a fan sitting at home watching basketball at the game on TV – Nothing hits your gut like when your team gives up an offensive rebound. Mm-hmm. It, it's, oh, yeah. it's just excruciating. It's, yeah. it, it's deflating for everybody because, yeah, you've worked so hard on defense for 18 or 20 or 22 seconds. Mm-hmm. And now you have to go because the whole reward of playing hard defense is you get the down. ball back yeah. and you go get you there get you to go. go score. And now you have to play another 20 or well, I guess it's 14 seconds of mm-hmm. defense now. But what what are. What are some things that coaches say to you in the, in those situations when you are down 10 to 18 to in, in second chance points? How, how do they coach you up <laughs> to get you exactly out of that? what they say. <laughs> is, is but what do you mean? Family entertain it? There's what? that, and then there's like a guy like myself that'll give up the offensive rebound. <laughs> then you look over at AR, and he's like, you know, I don't even play defense anyways. Like, what are we doing? Like, you got me back on this full oh, shot clock. Exactly. I'm but, already halfway uh, down the floor to the corner. <laughs> Uh, what's your least favorite thing to do in practice? Defensive drills and, and yeah, de- defensive, defensive drills, closeouts. Closeout, shell drill. Shell drill, exactly. There's, there's just no fun in it. Yeah. Okay, no explain what a shell drill is. Like for, okay. I, if you guys are going to break it down, yeah, I need sure. to know. Uh, I mean, a shell drill is basically everybody in their defensive position. They're rotating the ball at the top of the key, and everybody gets to their spots. They're calling out ball. They're calling out man. They're calling out help side. Mm. So, you're doing this for 24 seconds consistent. Then you have to do it for another 24 when you give up that offensive rebound. And it's it, like you said, it's deflating. It takes a lot of work to really defend. You, you know, your legs start burning. You know, mentally you get fatigued, uh, and, and and that's a huge advantage for the offense because they get another shot at it. Um, and you know why it's even more demoralizing is because defense is all there's, there's the independent side mm-hmm. and there's also the team aspect. So, you know. You let your guy. You let your guy get the offensive rebound. You've let down your the four other players on your team that have just killed themselves, just burnt themselves out defensively oh, yeah. to get yeah. that stop. You can feel so, those eyeballs too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you feel, feel them, especially from the coach. You, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know, like oh shit, this yeah. is this was me again. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so you know, those those are obviously the worst. It's not it's not fun. I think. I should remember, college is thirty five seconds. Thirty five seconds. Yeah. That's an eternity. And you know what, Tommy Amaker used to have us doing doing. We used to have bricks. 
Okay. You have, have to do defensive yeah, yeah. slides. Lane slides with the bricks, right? Eh? Not even lane slides. Okay. Down the sideline, on right across from from baseline to baseline. Sorry, okay. from from one corner. Uh-huh. So let's okay. Let's start again. You go from tip of one baseline all the way down and mm-hmm. across the court. Okay. Um. So you're ba- basically making an X. Yeah. And then yeah, bricks. Oh, a couple times. Is that even allowed anymore? Yeah, I mean, sure it is. <laughs> sure it is, man. Now, my one question about offensive rebounding, because of the way the game has changed with the three-point shot and how you know prevalent it is. I mean, in an NBA game, each team is taking 30, 35, 43-point shots. And I just can't help but feel like as someone who hasn't, played competitive basketball since I was 17 and even that to call that competitive is a stretch (laughs) there there is I mean it's it's difficult to rebound the three-point shot right because you not only are you fighting for position and trying to assess the angle of where it's going the 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 ball can just fly in any direction Mm -hmm. at at different right, right like it's not even so much weak side strong side as much as it bounces 20 feet oh, yeah. in in one direction so so here and here's the other aspect to that is i i think the number is 80 percent of three-point shots are are long rebounds so you're expected to box out your man remember you're basically in between the rim and and your defender and you're you're the offense per se so your man 80 mm-hmm. percent of those are long rebounds that rebound gets that that basketball bounces off the rim and goes over both of you guys your man is actually closer to it it's actually close to right. the basketball, but as soon as he gets it, you're getting chewed out for not boxing out. Right. Like, exactly. What are we? What are we really doing? So yeah, yeah and that's just the name of the game right now. Just, There's few guys that have a real knack for rebounding in the league. I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Rondo was doing a great job of it last night. You saw it made a huge difference when you had that rebound. What was it? The third of the fourth quarter, he came flying over somebody. Uh, but but that's that's an example. It's a long rebound. You know, guys have a good knack for the ball. They can help the team get out and transition faster. Yeah. But it's all becoming a part of the game. It's all becoming a part of the new era of the three-point well, shot. And I do feel like you, over the last couple of years, you've seen smaller point guards yeah. getting more rebounds. Well, you look I mean, at a guy like Tyler Harrow. He's a great uh, he's a great yeah. rebounder for his size. Sure. Yeah. Kyle and, Lowry, and guard, too, right? Kyle Lowry, I mean, all those, all those uh, triple-doubles. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I think he averages four or five rebounds yeah. a game. Oh, yeah. You know, 20 years ago, your point guard, I mean, isn't – isn't getting more than one or two rebounds a but game. Then, but that goes along to what we're saying because if you have, remember, your point guards now are usually in your safety position mm-hmm. uh, to protect any transition mm-hmm. or, or fast breaks the other one way. One and two, usually. Yeah. Right? So now those long rebounds from threes, they're one. It's, that's a step or two for them to grab that rebound inside the three-point line. So they can still be in their safety zone and be in rebounding position mm-hmm. because those are expected to go long. So I think that's also been why the increase of, you know, point guards rebounding or being high, your, some of your higher rebounders mm-hmm. uh, in the game. Those just those long Definitely. rebounds, and they're, yeah. they're actually in position to get them a step away, right? Okay, let's, uh, let's pause a moment and uh, do a little word for our sponsor, Henderson Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. A really cool independent brewery based in Toronto, and uh, their beers are all over the city and I believe all over Ontario. So check it out, Henderson's Best. Henderson Food Truck, a couple of my favorites. Shout out to Henderson. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Back to the Eastern Finals now, and it it didn't take long before Tyler Hero, uh, his name came out in our in our conversation today. And, you know, before we even get into that series and, and his performance, I think, you know, we have a Syracuse guy here, a Michigan guy, a UVA guy. We really do have to give credit to Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Their players, John coach John Calipari, his players are all over these uh, conference finals. Anthony Davis, Jamal Murray, <laughs> Tyler Hero, 
It is absolutely incredible. And, you know, you saw it happening several years ago where the the most elite players in the United States, in Canada, you know, Kentucky is the factory to put you to put you into the NBA. It used to be Duke. And, it, you know, to a degree, it still is. Jason Tatum's out of Duke. It's still Duke and Kentucky. And I remember being a, a young guy in a dorm room and watching the famous Duke-Kentucky game where Christian Leitner hit hit the shot and I believe that's like 1992 and here we are almost 30 years later but really um the these players that are coming out of Kentucky are basically dominating what's happening in the NBA I think it, it just means Calipari's found a smoother way to funnel them that booster money so <laughs> exactly right I should a Michigan guy be saying that wow, I could say so sorry I'm gonna interrupt you Either only because please do before any of this I pulled up Kentucky NBA players. This could be the the Kentucky starting five. Jamal Murray, Bam Adebayo, Devin Booker. These if they stayed four years, Tyler Hero would be your on the bench. Shy's got to be on there. Who's that? Shy Gilgis. Yeah, and Shy Gilgis Alexander. De'Aaron. Yeah, if they stayed Incredible. four years. Incredible. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I mean, Kentucky does have a legitimate one and done plan. Yeah. I mean, guys True. go there, there knowing a, that they are going to leave after one year. And what's it, I was reading an article earlier, and it was kind of interesting because there's, there's something called the Kentucky factor where, you know, you can say, okay, why do, why do guys like Tyler Hero come out of nowhere? Well, there's so many superstars on, a, on a one Kentucky team that they have to suppress their game for the benefit of the other superstars because who's really better? You know, it's LeBron and AD. Yeah. You know, who's better? Who should get the ball? So you have to take a back seat in some capacity – and I think that as you get older and you get into the league and your teammates trust you more, layer upon layer continues to unravel. So it's it's really interesting to see, like, yeah, you have to find ways to be efficient and exactly. be productive, and, help your team. Exactly. and still be and still help your team. For to, you know, everybody has a common goal to win, but everybody has to find a way to to show their their talent. And Which is compete. why I think they've, as of late, they've kind of struggled. I don't mm-hmm. think they've won a world championship in a while now. I mean, they get into the finals. They get into the final fours. Like, if you want to be honest, I think that's where we struggled with the national team in our times. Like uh, guys didn't really know their roles. Know their roles, or we, we weren't able to, to be the guy. Everybody wanted to be yeah. the guy, right? Really? So we, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We so that a bunch of internal struggles. Yeah, that Kentucky there, uh, despite you know we joke around with Calipari and so forth, but mm-hmm. that system there and, and finding ways for guys to be productive and having them buy into that. Um, that's that's actually something special, man. I mean. Realistically, we, I've had this conversation with countless guys overseas. You know, uh, when when you buy into a system and you realize that when you win, everybody gets paid, mm-hmm. then that's when it benefits and behooves everybody because guys can say, "Okay, my team's going to be what uh, twenty five and two at the end of the year. We, we're garnering national attention. We're going to be on CBS. We're going to be in the Final Four. All those guys are going to get looks from scouts because you know what happens in the NCAA tournament. But that's you got millions of scouts that's every single so, practice. That's so tough when you think about it because you guys are so young, so fragile, and you you're somebody that's experienced and understands that now. Looking back, mm-hmm. but going through it, you have your agents who are supposed to have some experience, who are supposed to have some knowledge, telling you otherwise. You have to get buckets. You have to get numbers. That's the way you're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. And then everybody in your circle is telling you get yours. Mm-hmm. Who's probably they've never been there. They've never done it. So you have people that have never been there telling you how to do it, and then you also have your agent, who's a, who's your trusted advisor, for sure, telling you go get yours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the reality is, yeah. winning gets it done for sure. So it's like it's a catch twenty two. Yeah, sure. it, it's tough. It takes very, like somebody that's extremely mature mm-hmm. to to understand it. And and we, what are we eleven years in and finally now accepting? Oh, I would say within the last two. Or three years, really accepted the and you know what? I didn't need to be that guy. And you know what happened too? You probably just got tired. Yeah. Like being that guy or trying to be that guy, you had to exert so much. You just got tired of fatigue sure. and you're at the latter part of your career. And then that's probably when you've seen the most success. Hell, that's when you got your EuroLeague gig. That's right. And at that point you were right. mentally halfway out the door. Oh yeah. And you <laughs> start to relax. Right? Like, <laughs> uh but back to Tyler, I mean he this kid is I think I think he's succeeding so much because his veterans are really instilling confidence in him. You know, you look at Jimmy. Jimmy Butler is probably his best friend on the team. You know, he's mm-hmm. got his back. Bam Adebayo's got his back. Having the confidence of your veterans makes a world of difference, especially as a rookie in the league. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you're having a couple bad games and you're on an island by yourself, which which I can compare my experience in New York to that. Mm-hmm. My veterans didn't really show me love or, or take care of me in mm-hmm. any aspect, really, outside of, you know, a couple of dinners here and there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, having... Uh, which speaks on the culture in New York in general, I feel like, because everybody is out there to prove themselves mm-hmm. and, and to, to satisfy everybody's opinion and their egos. And Miami's culture is win. It's win, yeah. Is we, want, we want everybody win, in here to buy into And buy into the program. Buy there's into no the distractions. No. There's no, so if you have a bad game, if, if you're down, if you're feeling, your teammates are going to do whatever they can to pick you up. And, then, and I think that's why Tyler's having so much success because he's, he's, he's in a win-win. If he isn't a starter and he has it going like last game, they give him the keys. You know, but if he if he's if he's a as an established rookie, he doesn't have to carry the burden of being the go to guy. So if he's not playing well, you know, he's still got guys to pick him up and he's still got, you know, a great team that he can ride the wave with. And I think there's a sense of humility to him and willingness to to want to learn and, and, and just, you know, not be the guy, but humility learn, so learn from the Right. Right. <laughs> because I had I, my teammate Darnell Harris, Charlotte, Charlotte Darnell. He was my rookie when he he'd come out a couple, maybe five years ago in Belgium. Um, he was actually they went to the same high school. So, and I, I seen a tweet that Tyler had Tyler Hero had sent out a couple, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, saying, you know, it's crazy how fast life changes because he was actually the the water boy, the boy ball, the ball boy for, and then he he listed off all those guys at his at his high school team, mm-hmm. which happened to be my teammate. He's just saying like, look how far he's come, which is it's crazy. Like this is he's actually paid his dues and he oh, was yeah. around. It's oh, not no. he's. I mean, Jimmy's guiding him now, but I think he's been he's been in the gym with vets before at, at every stage and just and just learned from them. Mm-hmm. And again, that humility is has definitely paid off. I mean, the way the Miami plays basketball, pass and cut, a lot of dribble handoffs. I mean, that that all works to his advantage. I watched one series where he came off he came off a dribble handoff, didn't catch it, went to the corner, cut baseline, came back off a DHO, didn't get it then, came back off another DHO three i mean the kid is in absolutely phenomenal shape and he's willing to be a part of that offense and he's fitting in really nicely so you know what's impressive to me about those guys is they look like they're having fun i've seen you know a couple of games i've seen a miscue a couple miscues at the end of the game the last one i seen was between drogic and and butler Mm -hmm. um you know drogic passed butler the basketball he tried to catch it with one hand and turn it over the play ended it was a turnover went the other way Mm -hmm. Nobody said it. Nobody had any ill words or you no know, body language was still positive. Yeah. Um, and, and they just supported each other. It was on to the next play. And sure. I think that was, that to me at that mo- moment, more than anything that they have accomplished to this point, stood out to me. And I said, this is why this team is going to win because, mm-hmm. you know, even in adverse times, and that was a crucial point in the game, mm-hmm. nobody was down. Nobody was discouraged. In fact, they said nothing about the play. There was no bickering. Just and and which is crazy because Jimmy's been known to have you know bad attitude or said to have bad attitude. But I think if he knows guys are bought in, he doesn't need to chirp at anybody. Right. Like if you look at the situation in Minnesota, he knew that there were you know twelve clowns on the team. Yeah. He didn't want to participate. <laughs> that he's got to he's got to let in everybody. So Andrew Wiggins on line one for you. <laughs> I said twelve. There's what fifteen, sixteen guys on the team. I I think. Um, Miami seems to turn the ball over so infrequently mm-hmm. that it, you know, it, it isn't an issue. In the in, in the instance when it does happen, they can get get through it pretty quickly. You know, what, I have to go to the flip side with, with Tyler Hero, and that's the Celtics. You know, they got undressed by a twenty year old kid for thirty seven points, and we know this. I love that. We know this <laughs> is a nice player. Um, but for him to have a number undressed, I like that. that. <laughs> shows where my mind. It, it it's for him to be on a a statistical uh, comparison to LeBron James to Kobe Bryant. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, we right? have to agree. Like this is a wonderful <laughs> player, but to to put him on par with with those guys, even at that stage in their career, the Celtics. They blew it. I mean, wh- where was – did they have no game plan to stop him? Are they surprised by this? War- where is the failing on Boston that they couldn't do anything to control a 20-year-old rookie in a critical playoff game with their season, their championship hopes on the line? Uh, it, it's shocking because Boston's a really well-prepared team. You know, Coach Brad Stevens is going to have those boys ready every game, film, uh, you know, percentages played, you know, which hand to play guys to. I think they're having a really tough time figuring out their zone. But 
it's not shocking that Boston's not doing well in close games. In close games, they have a 3-13 and record in the regular season. So, I mean, obviously that amplifies itself during the playoffs. And obviously you start feeling a little bit more. Uh, you feel that pressure. So it's, I don't think it has anything to do with them being underprepared. I think it just has to do with nerves and, and knowing that once they get themselves in these situations, that these situations tend to repeat themselves. So they have to find a, find a way to to take confidence, to, to go to their guys, their go-to guys. And, you know, guys like Jason Tatum can't have zero-point halves. You know, but then that, he had like 28. But then the he second, had 28. So. But imagine if he had 20 more in the first half. We, you know, uh, this, so this is a team that won a game seven. I, I don't, I don't see why nerves would be an issue. I'm, I'm starting to think uh, Miami is the more talented team, better coached, and more disciplined. And I think that the the more disciplined aspect isn't a surprise. But if they are better coached and more talented. I think that would be a surprise to all of us because coming into these playoffs and com- certainly coming into the season, Boston has always been a favorite in the East and Miami was an afterthought. And now that's all changed. I think it boils down to what we alluded to earlier with roles and not understanding roles. They've had, you know, Boston's had a really good season thus far. But I, I think there is some disconnect right now and, and guys don't necessarily understand, you know, Who's, who needs to step up or who do we need to get going at this point? Because you have a Marcus Smart that's, you know, chucking it up and trying to get things going. That's not necessarily his role right now. But it worked for him against Toronto. It, it worked against Toronto, but that was also, you know, Toronto just wasn't ready to be, to go move on to a playoff um, Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think it was, it was the year for them. They they have some growing to do as well. But uh, for Boston, it's it's one of those things where you're, you know, to succeed and have, you know, have success at this level where scouting and, and, and intensity is at a, at a top, at top notch. Your best players, the best players on your team need to be the best players on the floor every night to be successful. And that's been, you know, the case for, for Miami, Miami thus far. And I think, you know, I don't I don't think the, the series is over, um, you know, just bec- just because. It is, a, it is playoff basketball. Everybody steps up. Everybody increases to another level. And I expect that from Boston tonight. But, again, your best players, the best player in team, have to have to step up to, to win, be successful. Who is your guy, though? Who, who, is, who is your guy down the stretch? And that's that's the confusing part because I, I've seen Kimba. I've seen what Kimba can do, right? But Jason Tatum has been the one to show me, you know, step up and really show for this team. Mm-hmm. And then you have Jalen Brown that's had spurts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think right, we can count Jalen Brown out of that out conversation. Of that conversation, the correct? Guy. Yeah, right. It um, should be Walker or Tatum. It should be Walker or Tatum. I, mean, I think it should be. Walker. I think Kemba should, should have be, much more. Kemba's the, exactly. He was the splashy uh, free agent signing. Yeah. But I'm kind of I'm slightly disappointed in, in what I've seen from Kemba thus far. Yeah, I think he's been timid. I think that's part of not you know stepping into a new organization and a new role, especially like you know when you go to a new team. If you yeah. have guys that are veterans there, you kind of try to figure there. it out. You know where do I stand? Where when can I take these shots? Especially when guys have been given keys to the organization. But even from us, we. I don't think even in in the media or so forth, Boston has said who their guys or who's going to close out. Yet usually, you know who it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Thus but. far, it's been it, it, it's unacceptable. <laughs> every every after every loss, it's been unacceptable. So I, I think from you know Brad Stevens, he's definitely a you know run a well oiled machine, but you have to put a little more pressure on one or two guys to really say no, you need to step up. This is your team, and and I, I think that's where they've slightly. Uh, may have had some mistakes or gone away from is that they haven't identified mm-hmm. who some and Marcus Smart's trying to take over that role. He doesn't have that level, that talent level. Mm-hmm. I, I think as as much as Miami is showing almost the entire basketball world that they were unheralded and underrated coming into the into the playoffs and the season, I do think that Boston, even though they got the game seven win over Toronto, I think Boston is at this moment is a pretty big disappointment in uh, in the NBA playoffs. Let's forecast a bit. It's it's 3-1 in the Miami series. It's 3-1 in the Lakers series as we speak right now. Does Miami have what it takes to beat the Lakers as well? They've already knocked off Milwaukee, who was the number 1 team in the East. Can they are, are they good enough as a 5 seed to be the NBA champions? 
I don't think they have enough to match it. That's going to be tough. The Lakers have a lot, man. They have a lot of pieces they to wear you down. Depth, and we yeah. said it earlier, they haven't even gone into the, the depth of their bench. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have guys that have some experience. They even your backup there, Dion, Dion Waiters, you guys played together, right? Uh, no, he came in after me. Okay, you know, I was thinking Chris Joseph. It was Chris, his Joe. Back. Yeah. Chris Joe, my guy. Chris Joe, we got to get him on here. Absolutely. Shout out yeah. Chris Joe. Yes. But, Chris Joe. <laughs> but yeah, the Lakers have a lot, man. They have a lot to really wear you down. And I, I don't know if the Heat have enough to compete with, with them. But what they do have is the heart. What they do have is the passion. What they do have is guys that have bought in and the willingness to, to fight. I think that's what makes them a contender mm-hmm. at this point. Especially in the bubble. I think anything can happen in the bubble at this point. But I think that the way Miami's playing, the way that they're bought in, they're a superior rebounding team uh, team to the Lakers by four per game, which is a huge difference. And, and the paint presence has been a stable for the Lakers. They've really been relying on that, the rebound and the physicality. So if they can bang with them, I think they have a chance. Um, LA defeated Miami both times in the regular season, and they mm-hmm. split with Denver. So I think it's a toss-up. I think, I think if they come to play, if they're well-prepared, that they have a shot as, as good as anybody. Well, whatever whatever happens and whoever ends up the champion, uh, you know me- what's crazy? Miami wouldn't even have had if we're in regular circumstances. This is a fifth seed; they would have been playing on the road pretty much this whole playoff. Mm. Yep, that's crazy. So this so this bubble whole bubble neutralizes. It, it, yeah. it does look like the their roster appreciates the fact that they're kind of locked in together and basketball is the only focus mm-hmm. where we've seen, trip. We've, yeah, yeah. Clearly. we've seen look, other teams kind of Look at Jimmy Butler. Do you see him, his condition? Look at him. He looks a mess. Yeah. He's, he's definitely just there to play basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and make coffee. Well, I, I think uh, Miami as a team and Jamal Murray as an individual, regardless of who the champion is, I think they're going to come out of the bubble as the two really the biggest stories and maybe the the most pleasant surprises in this, whatever you want to call it, the NBA season, the bubble, however history is going to look back on it. Uh, These two situations, those two teams have really come out of that as teams of the future, but also teams of the present. Okay, let's leave the bubble now. As always happens, we, we, we go really long on this stuff. Let's get into the coaching carousel, which is starting to take place. We saw Billy Donovan end up with the Chicago Bulls. I think we talked about when he left OKC, which was shocking to me because I thought OKC was a team with young players, but I I do feel like they're knocking on the door already of being a contender. And there was some conversation that Billy Donovan didn't want to be part of a rebuild or a young team that was maybe going to take a step back Mm -hmm. before moving forward. I didn't understand that. And while I think this is an amazing hire for the Bulls, I'm surprised by it because now Billy the Kid Donovan is in a situation where he's really Mm -hmm. starting from scratch. I mean, there's nothing there. The, The cupboard is bare. And I think he's, he is almost, it's to me, it's like him going into, uh, University of Florida, you know, and starting a program that really has nothing going on. He ended up a two-time champion. I think that's a great move for for Billy D because if you look at it from protecting himself and protecting his NBA career, that puts him in a different position, right? You're going to a team where now you're you're basically starting a project. New $24 million contract. New GM. New GM. You're starting from scratch. This is something you're building up. Now, if you're you're sticking with um, OKC, there's a little more pressure. You have one, you have an expiring contract. There's a little more pressure to to um, Chef, perform. I think there's still more pressure in Chicago. No, no. At oh, least right now, it's you a have much bigger market team. There it's has a, to be. There the, is, the Bulls there are is. going crazy on Hoiberg. They, they want to get rid of the GM. Yeah, there is, but at the same time, but they understand that it's a project. So now you at least give yourself, as a coach in the NBA, at least three years. He secured himself at least three years to really start to build this thing and show show and some progress. Mm-hmm. Whereas in OKC, he doesn't really have much more than next year. I feel he like you're seeing anything next year, he's yeah, out of there. The ceiling in OKC, I think, is, is in a small market team, I think it's pretty limited. If you go to Chicago and you're the guy, you solidified yourself as a, an unbelievable but NBA coach. Not, he's not going to be the, the – the, the East is getting better. You have Kevin Durant in, is going to be playing for the Nets in the next season whenever that starts. Mm-hmm. The Bulls are not a playoff team at any time in the, in the next three years. 
they're not, but they, all they have to show, all they have to do right now is show progress, show that they're taking steps. There's going to be a bit more patience that the Bulls management will have with him as opposed to OKC's with if he had stayed. I think that's that's where you make a personal decision for your own career. It, it, it's interesting because having having been in OKC for a very short period of time, OKC felt to me like a big college town. You go around neighborhood to neighborhood and you'd see OKC signs on the front lawn. So it felt like a college town. And I think that's part of why Coach Donovan had such a huge success there is because it was like being in Florida in a way. Um, you, you didn't have crazy expectations. You know, it's the type of team that if you have a good game, you fought, you tried hard. You know, there's no real expectations. But he's 243 and 157 in five seasons, playoffs every year. I mean, and that's a strong player, resume. Losing Durant. Yeah. Losing Westbrook. But and I, he just kept I also, getting him to the playoffs. So you I also think he, get more long, he would have had more longevity staying in OKC than he does with oh, I think yeah, so. I think he could have been a lifer there. But, Crazy. But I think so. As, as a guy who probably has high aspirations, I think it's limited there, especially being in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. If you look at the optics of being in Oklahoma long term versus being in a city like Chicago. Well, I, think, <laughs> I mean, I, and, and like, I think, let's think about that me, for a that's second. That's the real. Yeah, that's the real story here. Oh, this yeah. is this is kind of a personal decision, and it would be much more. Plus, New York kid, right? Billy Donovan's from New York. He's a big city dude. You get tired of, of, you know. But, you know, he's put in time in Providence and Gainesville, Oklahoma City. So this is his big return to the big city. I get it. I get it on that level. And I I actually think that's the only thing that made this happen. Do you not believe in guys like Kobe White, Zach Levine, and and Laurie Markkinen? I mean, I think they're nice players, but no, I don't no. see that as a core that's going to make them okay. competitive. No, so they'll have to make major roster adjustments major in order to be moves. successful. Well, I know major one moves. free agent. I think they're going to go after pretty Freddy hard. V. His name's Fred Van Vliet. Freddie V. Uh, what about uh, Mike D'Antoni? Where's he going to end up? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, word on the street is that he might wind up in Philly. Yeah, I heard that. Too. In a recent movie, we heard that. He might try to bring James Harden over there. I, I was just about to say, yeah, you heard that yeah. one too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. I mean, I don't we've know. already kind of, you know, gone down that road and seen that it's not that experiment has failed. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. You have Embiid that can't control himself, wants to handle it, coming up the court and jacket. Then you have Harden <laughs> that is going to need thirty dribbles. At least you're not going to need Simmons to shoot. So yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you're not get, you're not going you. anywhere with Simmons shooting. I'd That's... like to see, I'd like to see Jeff Van Gundy take over in Philly. I think Philly is a huge project. It's a it's a basketball hungry city. Jeff Van Gundy's a super charismatic, eccentric guy. I think it just be... doesn't really seem to like coaching. I think he likes television. Sure, a bit more. yeah, no, I, I think he's... a lot of respect for him. I love over, his commentary. Yeah. He's great. He's off the charts. He's, he's unfiltered. He's one of the best. Yeah, his he's brother the too. They're both amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. they're both set up to be commentators. Yep. One of them, I think, would still like to coach, though. I think Stan Van Gundy would like to coach. And, you know, he could work in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. you know, with, with with his system. I just – I don't see the D'Antoni thing working there. But I, I also can't see D'Antoni going to the Indiana Pacers because it's, it's such a small market and he's kind of a glitzy guy. His basketball guy wouldn't work there. Yeah. yeah, and it, it might not work but there. But would it work in Philly gonna, right now? I don't know. <laughs> like who's that? I, what pieces if do you have? If you brought Harden, maybe. Yeah, I think that's his ultimate goal is to have reunite to be reunited with James Harden in some capacity. Now, what, what about this report? Um, I, I guess it came out of Indianapolis about uh, Nick Nurse's assistant in Toronto, Nate Bjorgren, possibly going to Indiana Pacers. Is is would that be that. a step back for them after having Nate McMillan? I mean, there you know yeah. a lot of a lot of things <laughs> here. <laughs> But you know what? When when teams have success, your the assistants are usually the next up for for jobs, and that's why also why I wanted the Celtics to have some some success because Scott Morrison, we had him on here, and he, right. he would be a guy that could could be vying for uh, maybe not a maybe not a head coach position right away, but a seat up, right? Maybe the associate head or, or next in line. So, um, you know, them making pushes at some of their Raptors assistants, it, it only makes sense, and that's how Does, Nick Nurse got his break as yeah, well, yeah. right? Does does a guy like Brian Shaw make sense in Indiana? Served as an assistant under Coach Vogel there, so he knows the system. He's an intellectual basketball mind. Yeah. I mean, I but guess he wants to run the triangle allegedly, and that's like <laughs> that might work in Indiana. I, I feel like those players are pretty. Um, I mean, disciplined. What, yeah. what, what about Sam Cassell? I think wasn't he up for the the he Sam tried, Cassell? Yeah, yeah. He tried to get the the, Celt, the not the Celtics the Nets job as well, and I think that's where some of the uproar was. 
with uh, Nash getting in. Shout out yeah. to Nash, though. Nash, too. He actually texted him when he first got that job, and I got the text back um, Stand up yesterday. Yeah. But I was, you know, two weeks later. But I'll, t- <laughs> I'll take it. Shout out, Nash, wherever you're at. Did you tell him you're doing a podcast? Yeah, we, we, we haven't chopped it up yet. Maybe I'll get a response in the next three weeks. I'd also like to throw out that Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Van Gundy. Okay. Those two cats don't look alike. Like <laughs> it's like saying Dan Gladman and Andy Routens and Javon Shepard are triplets. Those like I look at them and I'm like, what the? They're yeah, similar man. in the quirkiness, maybe, yeah, very much. But so. different mailman, different milkman. That's all I'm saying. Pool boy, isn't that a, a pool boy? Something in the news? Well, for for us beige people, yes, we we did pool boy a lot. A lot of representation in uh, in this studio right now. Well, I, I, we did have some more topics that were uh, hanging on the vine, but I think we're going to let them go. Those can be talked about down down the road. Conference the conference finals continue on. I have a feeling that the next time we get together and talk, we'll be into NBA finals uh, discussion. Don't want to say for sure that it's going to be Miami against the Lakers, but I kind of get the feeling that it is. Not much of a bold prediction at yeah. this point. But uh, I think that's what's going to happen, and I think we'll be talking about that. We're going to wrap it up here. Thank you to everybody who's listening at home. Maybe you're listening on our Buzzsprout, uh, perhaps on Spotify, Apple. Maybe you downloaded us. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out our Twitter, at Jim Rats Podcast. We're on Instagram as well. It's been uh, a pleasure, as always, talking with all you. Andy Routens, Javon Shepard, our producer, Mr. Dan Wong. And we will uh, talk to you again next week. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.